Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Door Church. If you're new here, my name is Drayton Shanks. I'm the Louisville Campus Pastor, and just so thankful that you're all here with us today. We're going to continue our, our Advent series, so if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to grab it. If you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. We're going to pick up really just where we left off last week, so if you were here with us last week, we started in John chapter 1, so that's where you can turn your Bible. John chapter 1, last week we did verses 1 through 11. Today we're going to camp out in verses 12 and 13. Now the title of today's sermon is, You Must Receive the Gift. You must receive the gift. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. I'm actually going to read, starting in verse 1, just to to recap uh, where we were last week. So John chapter 1, 1 through 13. God's Word says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if you hear last week, the Word, that's Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that all of us are sitting here this morning. God, I pray that you would demand our attention, that you would block out anything that is distracting us that is not you, that you would speak to us, Father, that we would receive the gift of Jesus Christ this morning and worship you, that you would stir affections in our hearts, that you would change us. God, we cannot do that, and we desperately need your help, so we're asking that you would move in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we read verses 1 through 11. Today, like I said, we're going to be really camping out in 12 and 13. But just to kind of recap last week, it was the title of the sermon was What Life is Really About. And it's really all about Jesus. Jesus came. He was born. He took on flesh and blood to live for you and me. He died the death that we deserve and rose again. And we looked at just the beauty of Christ, this, this amazing gift of Christ, the coming of Christ. And really, as it ends up closer to the, the end of uh, Scripture last week, we really see our, our state, our, our total depravity, our spiritual bankruptcy, uh, and our desperate need of, of hope. And so, really, just to kind of recap, I want to look at a few verses that really depict where we're at that's going to hopefully segue us into the Scripture today. So up on the screen, you're going to see Isaiah 59.2. God's Word says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So all of us, you and me, everyone, we're born into iniquity. That means we're born sinners. As we talked about last week, we're selfish. We choose us over God. We choose us over everything and everyone else. 
We love us some us. So we are sinners. We have created the separation of God. And though physically we are alive and breathing, spiritually we are dead. Our selfishness has separated us from God forever and we deserve death. Now maybe some of you are like, I don't know if I deserve death. I'm pretty good. Well, God's word says differently. Romans 6.23 is going to be up on the screen. God's word says, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death. Not a specific sin, not a certain amount of sin, just any sin. The smallest amount of selfishness, what we deserve, what we have earned is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of our sin, we're spiritually dead and our physical death is imminent. The only remedy for, the, for life is the gift of the gospel that we must receive, we must believe only by the grace of God, awakening our hearts and souls to the reality of this gift. Again, what's this gift? Romans 5, 8 will be up on the screen. God's word says, but God shows his love for us. He shows his love for you and for me in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was born to die so that we could be born again, raised from death to life. The light of Jesus Christ is life for all mankind. The true light came into the world that he made. That's what it says in verse 3 here in chapter 1. All things were made through Jesus, through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything, Dallas, Coppell, Louisville, Flower Mound, Carrollton, Grapevine, all the suburbs, everyone in them, you and me, all created, made through Jesus Christ. Therefore, when he came to the world, he came to his own. That's what it says in verse 11. He came to his own. He came to what belongs to him by right of creation. He came to his own possession, his own domain, the house of humanity that he had built for his dwelling place. Verse 11 goes on and says, and his own people did not receive him. So he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He's come and they, we, everyone received him not. We reject him. We reject him in our sin. We reject him in our selfishness. Every single one of us in the world around us. You can see it. We reject him in the world around us as we say seasons, greetings, and happy holidays instead of Christmas. Like Christmas, it's all about Christ. It's in the name. But we don't want to offend anybody. So we reject him by saying certain things. We reject him in, in, in the way that we, it's so selfish. We, in the secular marketing, it's exploiting the Savior's birthday. How selfish is that? Like really, if you think about it, we take Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we exploit his birth because we're selfish and we're jacked up. We reject him in public schools because we're not supposed to talk about him because we don't want to make anybody upset. We reject him in public speeches when we don't say anything at all about him because we don't want anyone to be offended, so we don't say anything at all. We try and please all by not saying anything. He came to his own and his own received him not. John 3, 19 through 20 will be up on the screen. God's word says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The light came to his own and his own were in love with the dark and with self. That's you and me. So we did not receive the light. And that's heavy. It's not, it's not super uplifting, but I hope that God would allow us to, to see that, believe that, confess that today, that we are sinners, we're selfish, and this is what we deserve. This is, this is us without Christ. 
And then today in verse 12 and 13, we get this amazing invitation. There's this amazing but in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This means that, that those who reject the light are not the children of God. God is not everybody's father. Now, now God created everybody. He's the creator, we're creation, so we belong to him, but he is not everybody's father. See, Jesus said in John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me. God is not everyone's father, and the test of who your father is is whether you love his son. Verse 12 and 13 are so important because they tell us how we may become children of God. It's, it's the adoption process here in 12 and 13. It's how we go from slaves to sin to sons and daughters of God, adopted into his family forever. And I want us all to consider this question this morning. Not everyone is a child of God, am I? I want you to ask yourself that right now. Not everyone is a child of God, am I? For some of you, you may be like, I'm, I'm not a child of God. I don't, I don't believe in God. And I pray by his grace he would awaken your soul to the love of Christ this morning and you would receive that gift. Some of you have asked, asked a question. You're offended that I'm even asking you to ask that question. Why would I ask that? Of course. Of course I'm a child of God. Don't ask me to ask myself that. Why are you so offended? Why are you so offended and bothered to ask that question? And some of you know by God's grace you are a child. Man, I pray that that would just stir our affection this morning, that we would grow in him, that our praise would more belong to him and not self as we ask ourselves this morning. Because the difference it makes is John 8, 34 through 36 will be up on the screen. This is Jesus answered them. Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, if we will not be children, we will be slaves. We are slaves to our sin. We're in bondage to our sin, and we can't do anything about it. We're spiritually hopeless. We have no power to break those chains. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The children do. What is at stake in becoming a child of God is eternal life. Life with God forever. That's what's at stake. So we ask ourselves the question, not everyone is a child of God, am I? And also, not everyone will have eternal life, will I? And so we turn to verses 12 and 13 for the all-important answer to the question, how do you become a child of God? What would have to happen this morning to make you a child of God? And if you are a child of God, do you understand how you became one? Can you, by the Spirit of God, lead another person into the Father's family? We really see two conditions here in verse 12 to becoming a child of God. Receiving and believing. Receiving Jesus and believing Jesus. So we're going to look at those two things. First, receiving Jesus. Receiving Jesus means that when Jesus offers himself to you, you receive and welcome him into your life for who and what he is. On his terms and not yours. So if Jesus comes to you as Savior, you receive and you welcome his salvation. If Jesus comes to you as leader, you receive and welcome his leadership. If Jesus comes to you as provider, you receive and welcome all of his provision. If he comes to you as counselor, you receive and welcome his counsel. If he comes to you as protector, you receive and welcome all of his protection. If he comes to you as authority, you receive and welcome all of his authority in your life. And if he comes and presents himself to you as king, you receive and welcome his rule over your entire life. 
and you receive the greatest gift that, that we could ever receive, the only gift that actually matters, Jesus Christ. See, when we receive Christ, we're rejecting everything else. That's what receiving Christ is. When we receive, we reject. That's, that's what repentance is. To receive Jesus, you reject everything and everyone. So that's what we talk about repentance. We turn from sin and self and the world, and we turn to Christ, and we receive him as the greatest gift, as our Savior, as our Lord, our King, our only hope. We cannot receive Christ and maintain all of our sin in, in this world and in this other life. See, we we're born again in Jesus Christ. He's not an addition. He's a new way of life. See, I think too often we treat him as like the extra spot on our cafeteria tray. And what I mean by that is, so go to your favorite cafeteria, whether that's like Highland Park cafeteria, Luby's Furs, whatever your jam is, right? You got your cafeteria tray. You're going through the line. I'll take the chicken fried steak. Yep, that looks good. I'll take some mac and cheese, take some Brussels sprouts, got to have my roll. And then you see this jello at the end of the aisle. You're like, dude, that's pretty. That looks good. It's even got this cool sword in it. I kind of want to, I want to keep that. That looks like a fun toy. I'll use it when I want to. You know what? I got this extra one little spot left on my tray. I'm going to grab that jello, put it on my tray. That's how we treat Jesus. That looks good. Sounds good. I don't know if I'll actually like enjoy it or partake in it, but it makes my tray look better. So I'm going to put that on my tray and, and, and go about my business but I'm really going to enjoy that chicken fried steak. It's not the way it works. When Jesus presents to you the gift of salvation, you throw that tray away forever. You're given a new tray, and it has one spot, and that one spot belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's now your life. Because he makes you aware that all that sin and world it's not, doesn't bring life. It's not good. It's like when you realize you're allergic to something that brings you death. You don't partake in it anymore. And then as you begin to partake in actually things that bring life and hope and peace and guidance, you start to look different. You start to sleep different. You start to feel different. Everything about you changes. Jesus Christ is not an addition to your life. He is a brand new way of life. Receiving Jesus means taking Jesus into your life for who he is and what he is. It does not mean it's some kind of amicable coexistence with Christ who makes no claims in your life. As though he can stay at your house as long as he doesn't play his music too loud. It's not the way it works. When Jesus preached in Nazareth in Luke 4.16, the people received him gladly. In Luke 4.22, it says, All spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which he proceeded out of his mouth. Cool jello. We like this. This is pretty. This looks good. But a few verses later, six verses later in Luke 4.28, says they were filled with wrath and tried to throw him down from a cliff. They were happy to receive him while his words were pleasing, but when their pride and their selfishness was triggered, they rejected him. How many of you are doing that this morning? It's on your terms. You'll never receive Christ if it's on your terms. You'll never receive the gift of salvation if it's on your terms. You'll never experience Christ if it's on your terms. Receiving Jesus means taking him into your life, your entire life. Your home, your school, your work, your marriage, your friendships, your dreams for who he really is. So the first condition is receiving Jesus, the light of the world. The second condition is believing in his name, believing in Jesus Christ. See verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does believing in the name of Jesus mean? Well, 
We're in the book of John. John talks a lot about believing in Christ, so let's just go through the book of John and see if he can help us answer that question. What does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus Christ? First, let's look at John 3.18. It'll be up on the screen to see that believing in the name of Jesus is virtually the same as believing in Jesus. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here, believing in him and believing in his name are used interchangeably. The name simply emphasizes the full stature, dignity, and authority of Christ. Next, let's look at John 5, 43 through 44. It'll be up on the screen where receiving and believing are used again in close connection the same way they are in verse 12 of chapter 1. God's word says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 44 implies that you can't believe in Jesus if you love the praise and glory of men and self. This means that believing is so contrary to pride and selfishness that it involves a deep humbling, dying to self, living for Christ. It means abandoning the craving for human praise and caring more about pouring out our praise for God, Christ and Christ alone. Believing is not merely this intellectual assent to truth that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not this intellectual assent of just having Scripture memorized, but having no effect on the way you live. This isn't a history book. This is a new life. I hope my time's not already up because we're in trouble if it is. It's amazing. It means abandoning the craving of human praise and living for Christ. Next, let's look at John 6, 35. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I love this verse, y'all. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Maybe I like it because I like food. It speaks to my soul. Like it's referring to Jesus as food, and I love it, okay? This verse teaches that believing in Jesus means being satisfied with Jesus. It means that Jesus is the food that feeds the hunger of our soul. The parallel between coming so as not to hunger and believing so as not to thirst tells us that Jesus saw this believing as coming to drink and coming to eat. This is the acting of faith, the act of believing. See, what John is wanting to emphasize is that we never put down the cup of living water. We don't take one sip and then go, cool, I'm good. We never put down the cup of living water as though we've had enough. We never lay aside the loaf of heaven's bread as though we're stuffed. Believing doesn't do that. Believing is receiving constantly, coming constantly. Christ is ever giving himself as drink and food for our souls. We are always putting our lips to the cup and our mouths to the bread. Life in Christ is like a branch in the vine, not a full cup sitting on a table beside a full pitcher. John 15, 5 will be up on the screen. God's word says, I am the vine. This is Jesus talking. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Believing is what a branch does in the vine. It drinks. It eats. It never stops. It abides forever. And all these texts in John plus so many others show that believing is a deep work in our heart. It's a deep work in our heart. It gives us a new heart, not just a verbal agreement with doctrinal facts. It's not the way salvation works. It includes breaking free from the craving for human praise, and it includes being satisfied with Jesus as the bread of life. Receiving Christ is believing in Christ. Believing in Christ is receiving Christ. They happen at the same time. 
It's like when you open your eyes. As soon as your eyes are open, the light floods in and you see new. That's what happens when you receive Christ. You believe in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, you've received Christ. So that we can be born again. John 3, 6 says this. It'll be up on the screen. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We are all spiritually dead before new birth. And I know I've said that a lot this morning, but it's, just, it's true. Like We need to come to terms with the fact that if you have not received Jesus Christ, if you have not received the gift of Christ, you are spiritually dead. I don't feel dead. Your spirit is dead. You have a heart of stone. You will spend eternity apart from God. You will receive the full wrath of judgment on the day that you breathe your last breath. We are all sinners. We need to be born again. We need spiritual life. That's what God does for us according to the scripture. In verse 13, without any help from us. Verse 13 says, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are born of God by a free act of sovereign grace. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. I can't save you. You can't save me. I wish I could save my three sons. I can't save them. Their mom can't save them. No one can save them except God through the gift of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the will of God, not of anything else. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter what church you go to. The only hope you have is the will of God interceding in your life and presenting to you the gift of Christ and giving you belief to receive it. He chooses us before we choose him, and he obliterates all the obstacles in our way. See, between us and God and eternal life, there's, there's some great obstacles, specifically two. One, one is that we are spiritually lifeless and dead, and the other is that we are sinfully corrupt and guilty. And we cannot inherit life as children of God if we are dead and if we are guilty. But God so loved us that he did two things. First, he sent his spirit to cause us to be born again, awaken our souls, illuminate scripture, allow us to believe and make us pass from death to life. And so he overcomes that first obstacle. And then secondly, in perfect harmony with the work of his spirit, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sin and my sin and remove the guilt of all who believe in him. So the moment we receive the gift of Christ and believe in him, even though we are sinners, we are authorized in him to claim the inheritance of the children of God. So the second obstacle is removed. Jesus was born so you could be born of God. Jesus was born to die so that you and I may be forgiven and live now and forevermore as heirs to God the Father. As we receive the gift of Jesus Christ, you are now an heir of God. What belongs to Christ belongs to us. We will inherit the new heavens and new earth and we will live in perfect harmony with God. And we cannot fathom how amazing that will be. We cannot imagine how rich that will be. We cannot fathom it. We can try. That's the gift that we receive. There is hope for us because there's hope in the manger. There's hope for you and me in the manger because Jesus was born. And he took on the cross for you and me and paid for all of our sin and removed all of our shame. And he died for you. And he was risen 
from the grave and when we receive that gift, that's what awaits us too. We will rise and we will live with God forever. No more shame, no more hurt, no more addiction, no more stress, no more tears, no more judgment, no separation, no anxiety, no fear, no death. It's a perfect relationship with God forever. That's the greatest gift any of us could receive. And it's given to us through Jesus Christ. See, you will either try to define yourself this Advent season. You'll define yourself for who you are, what you believe, how things should work. Or you will receive the gift of Christ this Advent and have God define you. And have God's love define you. Because when you're defined by the love of Jesus Christ, you're no longer defined by your failure. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you're currently into. It doesn't matter what you have left to come before God takes you home or until you go to hell. Just straight up. In the love of Jesus Christ, you're defined by his love. You're defined by his works. His perfection. Not your failure. Not your sin. You're also not defined by your good works, which are just filthy rags. It's pride, thinking that you're good. You're defined by Christ's work, that sin and self-righteousness that we repent of when we receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Christ's perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection defines you as you receive the gift. His righteousness is now yours. His definition is now yours as well, a child of God. You will respond some way today. You'll either reject Christ this morning and walk out and go about your life, or you will receive the gift of Christ. And may God be so big as to allow all of us to receive that gift this morning, whether it's the first time or the 10,000th time, and just pour out our praise and worship, to bow and worship him this season and for the rest of our lives. This is the great salvation for sinners like you and me. It's the full and free gift, and it corresponds to our exact need and condition. It's offered to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Receive him as the perfect gift he is. Believe in him as the all-satisfying end of your search for peace. That's what we all want. We all want peace. Scott said something this week I love. He said, peace is a belief that exhales. Y'all ever just get stressed out, overwhelmed, and you take a big, deep breath because you're trying to find peace. You're trying to find rest. Peace is the belief that exhales. In Christ, you're okay. You can exhale and have peace. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't still remain in you, although you belong to God now through Christ. But it means you can exhale with peace. Because in Christ, you are okay. Because only through him can our deadness be replaced with life and our blindness be replaced with light. Come to him, believe in him, receive him, and he will be your life, your everlasting joy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. It's a free gift of grace that we do not deserve, we cannot earn. By the power of your spirit, Father, you can open our eyes to this beauty and this truth. You can give our hearts new life. Father, you can give our souls eternity. God, you can define us by your love and not our sin. Father, I pray 
that you would allow us to receive that gift this morning. God, I know that there are people in here right now that do not know you as Father. They have not received the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would overwhelm their hearts, that, Father, you would give them the ability to see their complete spiritual hopelessness and to surrender their lives to you this morning, to find life at the foot of the cross and receive the hope that is provided to us in the life of Jesus Christ. And God, for all of us that have received that gift, Father, may the sweetness of that gift grow in our lives. May we reflect that gift more and more in our lives and the world around us. May you take our focus off of self and put our gaze upon the cross of Jesus Christ this season. Father, we love you and thank you. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the, and I think we hear that, and we're like, I know that. But do you know it? On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The loving relationship we had with the Father forever, for eternity, was snuffed out. And the anguish and pain that he had is incredible. Now, why did he lay down his life? To bring you that love. Because you should have been rejected. You should have lost love. But he lost his love to bring you love. There's no greater anguish than God had on the cross. Why did he do it? Because you're worth it to him. Until you understand that great love, it'll it'll never 
You'll never be satisfied in the world. Um, not only does Christmas show you the worth that God has on you, but also shows you his character. You know, we are made to receive God's love and to, to love other people before ourselves. In our sin nature, we think about ourselves and we use people. That's not God's design, but Jesus in the ultimate act of selflessness and sacrifice, considering you before himself on all respects, can save us from our sin nature and put a loving heart into us. The reason how you really know you can trust someone is when they love you and serve you with no strings attached. And that's, Jesus did that more than anyone. He's showing you his character and nature. It says in Matthew 20, verse 28, uh, this, that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, what, but to serve. Like, he didn't, he didn't come to take anything from you. He didn't come to say, get, get your life together. He came to serve you and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, he ultimately, on the cross, was putting you before him, taking on darkness. He's taking on sin. He's talking on, taking on the wrath of God. Why? Because he loves you, and he wants you to trust and know him. It's the greatest sacrifice to bring you out of what? Your selfishness, to experience the love of God that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the love of the world. The question, have you received it? Have you sat under it? See, this kindness will melt your heart. Now, the kindness of Christmas, if you let it, will melt your heart. No one will ever love you that way. No one. Has the light, has, has the light and the love of Jesus Christ dawned on your heart? Because that's what it's like. When you experience it, there's, there's beauty and an okayness and a peace that Jesus, as you, as you experience him, him, it's like light starts to flood into your heart where you never experienced it. And it rises as the sun has the noonday, and it starts to change you, and it melts you from the inside out. So as you drive around, don't go through the motion. I want you to look at all the lights everywhere and say, man, Jesus came. Why? To bring light into darkness. Where's that darkness? My dark heart. I want you to think about light equals love and think about this Christmas season that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. That Jesus, he came for you and Jesus died for you. This is, this is, this don't, this is so beautiful if you allow it to flood your dark heart. Don't, don't miss it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us respond by faith. I pray that we consider just the text that the way you communicate that, that you've come down to bring us love, to, to change our dark hearts, to experience your love, we just receive it. God, that you take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that beats for you and others. That we would know our worth, that we would look to the world for that, but we know it because of Jesus. That, that he created us, he came for us, and he died for us. Help us experience what you came to do. Help us be still and not so busy and miss it. I pray for the Spirit of God to move in our church and these men, these women, these students, these kids. It's such a powerful thing. His name and how he pursues us. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.